This is episode number 483 with Andrew Jones, creator of Data Science Infinity. Welcome to the Super Data Science Podcast. My name is John Crone, a chief data scientist and best-selling author on deep learning. Each week we bring you inspiring people and ideas to help you build a successful career in data science. Thanks for being here today. And now let's make the complex simple. Welcome back to the Super Data Science Podcast. We're lucky to have Andrew Jones with us on the show today. Andrew has held a number of senior data roles over the past decade, including at the tech giant Amazon. In those roles, Andrew interviewed hundreds upon hundreds of data scientists, leading him to create his Data Science Infinity Educational Program, a curriculum that provides you with the hard and soft skills you need to set yourself apart from other data scientists during the interview process. To give you the maximum benefit from this episode, I interrogate Andrew so that he spills the beans on all of his data science interview secrets. Today's episode will be of interest to anyone who'd like to improve their chances of success in interviews, probably with particular appeal to those in the early stages of their career. Andrew Jones, welcome to the program. I'm so excited to have you on. Where in the world are you calling in from? I am uh, currently in a small town called Didcot, which is in Oxfordshire in the UK. I've, I've mm-hmm. just recently moved my family out there from London. So we had a, we had like a two bed apartment in the city of London. Uh, and I've got two small girls who are age four and two, and they need a little bit more space than a two bed apartment would allow them to uh, stomp around and, and throw things. So we've moved out into the <laughs> Oxfordshire countryside uh, where they can do all of that stuff as much as they like. So uh, yeah, a bit of a change. I've, I've been here for about a month or two now, but but loving it. It's definitely a change of, of lifestyle, but it, it's very nice to have the freedom, especially in the the sort of the last year that we've had. It's nice to be out of London. Yeah, I'm familiar with small town Oxfordshire in the UK, uh, having lived there myself for five years, and it is absolutely beautiful, especially in the time of year that we are in right now, as we start to have that handful of sunny days that England gets every year. When you can spend yeah, those yeah. in the countryside with a pint of lager, uh, I don't know. There's nothing more beautiful than that. Yeah, we've had a couple of good days lately. In fact, today's been quite good. It's maybe 24, 25 degrees Celsius today, so it's quite warm. Beautiful. But you're right, man. You, you don't want to miss the sunny days. You blink and you'll miss them over here. Uh, and yes. then it'll be win- winter before you know it again. Yeah, it's, when those days happen, everyone kind of puts tools down. You don't really expect much office activity. Um, yeah like we got it it's the day let's enjoy yeah, it exactly exactly this this is the day and people people go like over and you know above and beyond right like you know monday everybody's dressed up suit and ties and then tuesday there's a bit of sun so people are out and they're just in their shorts you know like <laughs> i have permission to get semi-naked now because i'm british and it's sunny <laughs> nice um now so you are british and you've been living in the uk for a long time but your accent Andrew, does not sound totally British. What's going on there? So I, yes, technically I am British. Well, technically I'm a dual citizen. So I'm, I'm originally from New Zealand and I, I 
grew, was born there, grew up there, um, and I just moved over to London about, it must be 12, 12 years ago now. Uh, you know, a, a lot of Kiwis and Australians, what they do when they, they've finished university and maybe they've worked for a couple of years, they go on, you know, their overseas adventure and they, you know, explore the world. And, and for a lot of people, because London's, you know, very similar, you know, culturally to, to home, it's a, it's a nice, easy one. And, and I actually have family here anyway. Both my parents are born in, in Britain, but obviously live in New Zealand. So it was a nice, easy, easy transition for me. And I've just stayed. I mean, most, most New Zealanders that come over have their two-year visa and then they'll head back because, you know, they're forced to head back. Um, but I didn't, you know, I've got a British passport as well as a, a New Zealand passport. So I could stay and I just did. And I, I met my wife here and I mean, she's also a Kiwi, <laughs> met her over here. And uh, um, we've got, like I said before, we've got two young girls now and it's just, it's kind of home for us. Um, but whether or not we go back to New Zealand, some New Zealand at some point, I, I don't know at the moment. We, we don't really know where we want to be. We, we like it here. We've thought about maybe moving to Dubai because we love it there. Maybe back wow. to New Zealand, we we just we did we don't know. We're not. I'm envious of these people who just know where they want to be and they buy their house and they set themselves <laughs> up. I just we can't do it. <laughs> it's a bit of a problem for us. I don't know. It sounds like a not a bad problem to have to kind of have that flexibility. And actually, your job allows you to have, I guess, an infinite amount of flexibility in where you live because you run something called Data Science Infinity. So you're the creator of this data science curriculum. Tell us about data science infinity. That's right. That's right. So I, um, as a little bit of background, um, in my career in analytics and data science, I've, I've been in the very fortunate position to have interviewed and screened hundreds of, of data science and analytical candidates. Um, and, and over time, I started to see what it was that sort of differentiated candidates that, you know, landed the role versus those who unfortunately kind of missed out time and time again. Um, and I'd always kind of wanted to create something like an online course, but I never really knew if the time was right. And, um, I was consulting at, at Sony PlayStation up until about March of last year. So March of 2020 and, and, um, the, the kind of the tax, there were, there were some tax changes in the UK that affected people who were consulting or contracting and the, the bottom essentially fell out of that market. Hmm. Um, and I thought, you know, this is, this is the time to, to, to do it. Um, so I'd been squirreling away bits of code that I thought were really useful and ways to sort of explain them to people and different tools and techniques, which I, I, I knew were really valuable. Um, and, and like I say, from interviewing all of these candidates and, and seeing this process, I, I saw that there was definitely this disconnect between what students are genu generally learning in data science uh, courses, whether that be online courses or whether that be at university and what hiring managers are actually looking for in practice there was this this misalignment between the two and i thought you know i've got this experience interviewing i've seen exactly what it is that makes a candidate get the role maybe i can build something that will help people you know get there because this is it is such a struggle you know we we know how hard and how competitive data science is maybe i can sort of help people in 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 that way um so i started out thinking you know this is going to take me about two months to record the content and then about seven, <laughs> seven months later with no income it was a risky move like seven months of no income living in London was a dicey move I would say but uh seven months later I, I launched 
the first version of Data Science Infinity. Um, and it's continuing to, to evolve over time. And um, there's kind of, I guess there's four things that I think make Data Science Infinity different. And, and, and I made it that way on purpose. So firstly, uh, students are, are learning the right content. So I didn't want to just create a course like a lot of other courses where it's just the course creator's opinion on, you know, this is what you should learn because I know it. Uh, that's not really the way I wanted to go. So not only had I seen people come and go in these interviews and I saw where the gaps were, I, I, I went out and I, I interviewed and talked to hundreds of, you know, leaders and hiring managers and recruiters as well in the field and, and asked them, you know, what are the key skills that you need for, for data scientists and data analysts who are coming, you know, from learning into your teams? And what are the ones that you don't need so much that maybe get a little bit more attention than they should do, especially when people are starting out. So I wanted to be very data driven in terms of, you know, the curriculum that I was creating. And, and that includes softer skills as well. You know, what, what are the types of things that people do that essentially make them a great data scientist versus maybe a good data scientist, if that makes sense. Um, so I wanted to be the I wanted the curriculum to be data driven, so people are learning the right skills, and they can they can focus their time learning things that will actually help them get you know their first role. Um, the second thing is it's all about learning in the right way. So there's this really heavy focus, and this I put a lot of almost pressure on myself when I'm creating the content to make it as intuitive and as understandable as possible. Um, and everything's sort of based around project-based application as well. So it's, you know, you learn the theory, but it's it's applying that in sort of real-world scenarios as much as you can do in a, in a course setting. Um, because I think those, those are the sorts of skills that help you get into the role because people want to see that you've actually used the, the tools and the skills to add business value, whether that's even hypothetical because you're using a, a data set off Kaggle or whatever it may be. Um, and then you students evolve with the program. There's uh, this. This is a big part of what I wanted to do was was make it less about a destination. So, you know, you see these data science boot camps saying learn data science in six weeks or become a data scientist in three months, and I, I don't believe that's a thing. Um, it might seem like it, it might seem like a nice product to buy, but in the real world. I've seen these people come and go in interviews and it doesn't work like that. So I, I wanted this to be more of a journey rather than a destination. So, every, you know, you get unlimited access to everything um, and the content will evolve uh, over time. So I'm doing so a that's, big... Is that the, that's the company name. Data Science Infinity is based on that idea? Data Science Infinity, yes. So my wife came up with that actually uh, when I was talking to her about, you know, how I wanted this to be positioned in the market and how I wanted it to be different to what other people were doing. So, yeah, it's it's very much about that it's an infinite journey you know we're all always learning there's no there's no destination where oh i've become a data scientist what should i do next it's 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 always an evolution you know for whoever it is in the field you know people at the cutting edge are still learning because things are moving so quickly and then the, the other part of it which you know if you want it then you can opt for unlimited and, and dedicated guidance and support from me in your journey um, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I know all the answers, but I have, you know, worked at the types of companies that people want to work at. And I've, I've made all the mistakes that people make and, and have learned from them. And, and I can I can help people get to that stage. And, you know, again, I've, I've been in the very privileged position to have interviewed and screened all of these candidates. And I can help you almost reposition yourself from one of the candidates who struggles to get the role. And we know that that's a 
a really common position people find themselves in into you know one of the candidates that will get the attention of a recruiter or a hiring manager and then succeed in the interview process because you know how you know what a hiring manager's wanting to hear um so i guess if i if i was to summarize that you know a little bit of a ramble about it all it's it, it really is about getting students results rather than just getting another certificate for your resume if that makes sense that does make a lot of sense i want to make sure that we somehow so you you mentioned as you started talking about the data science infinity approach you said that there were four things but you only enumerated the first two so i want to make sure that we got them all or i want to make sure i know what the numbers are so the first one was um that the curriculum covers what data scientists actually need to know as opposed to what the instructor happens to know and teach um, the second thing was uh, learning intuitively, which makes a huge amount of sense to me. And then, so was the third one that it's this infinite journey and the fourth one is unlimited guidance? Yeah, that's right. So the, the third one is essentially the idea that the, the content will keep evolving over time. So as new things come into the market or maybe certain skills become less required and maybe other skills come in to replace them, then I'll try and evolve the content. Like I say, I'm, I'm building up a big section on on deep learning at the moment, because n not that that is essential knowledge for somebody coming into the field, but I, I think it is something that people want to learn. So that's going to sit in the in a subsequent section of the course, and I'm almost going to tell people you're not allowed to touch that until you've done the the core concepts, um, which you know, which are things like SQL and and Python statistical concepts again in a very intuitive way where you're thinking about how you would use them not just as a, a formula full of greek letters because that's great if you know it like that and i'm not bagging people that that know the maths so much better than i do um but when you're in a when you're in a business setting as a data scientist one of the the big skills that you need is the ability to to translate that and for people who aren't coming from a technical background the people who you know, are going to be the green light for your project getting implemented or, or going on to affect customers. And if you can't explain that to them in a way that they can understand, then, you know, your product or the solution that you've built is just going to sit on a shelf. So that's that's super important, that, that intuition that I'm trying to convey to people. Um, and then, you know, things like A-B testing. These are, these are the sorts of simple things, but you need to know them really well because they're what data scientists and data analysts just need to be doing. Uh, and then there's a big section on machine learning, which is, again, all about, you know, understanding how it works from a hands-on point of view, but but also understanding what goes on under the hood really intuitively in a way that you can maybe tweak it to work for different scenarios that you might come into contact with, like something like logistic regression can be used in different ways depending on the scenario. But you can't do that if you don't understand what's going on under the hood. Um, and then, then there's a big section on sort of softer skills, I guess, around turning business problems into data science solutions, which I think is super important. Um, and, and in my view, in my experience, is one of the things that is the difference between a, a good data scientist and a great data scientist. And nice. then there is a bit... Let's, yeah, wait, sorry. sorry. <laughs> no, you can finish that and then I'll I'll go back. I was, I was going to dig into, into some of those points, but it sounds like you have one more Kind of big section to talk about. So the, the the last section of the course, as it stands, is is just a section around um, going from learning to getting the role that you want. So that's where I'm sort of trying to get you 
uh, to the level where you understand what hiring managers are looking for and you understand the types of things they want to see and the types of things they don't want to see. And, and you can talk to them in a language which makes you very appealing to them. That, that was the only point I wanted to add. Perfect. You may already have heard of Data Science Go, which is the conference run in California by Super Data Science. And you may also have heard of Data Science Go Virtual, the online conference we run several times per year. In order to help the Super Data Science community stay connected throughout the year, from wherever you happen to be on this wacky giant rock called planet Earth, we've now started running these virtual events every single month. You can find them at datasciencego.com connect. They're absolutely free. You can sign up at any time. And then once a month, we run an event where you will get to hear from a speaker, engage in a panel discussion, or an industry expert Q&A session. And critically, there are also speed networking sessions where you can meet like-minded data scientists from around the globe. This is a great way to stay up to date with industry trends, hear the latest from amazing speakers, meet peers, exchange details, and stay in touch with the community. So once again, these events run monthly. You can sign up at datasciencego.com connect. I'd love to connect with you there. So we are going to dig into a lot of these topics in more detail very shortly. So things around what um, soft skills data scientists need to have, um, aside from just the technical skills, talking about um, what hiring managers look for. We'll get into all of that. But first, before we dig into that, which I know our audience really wants to hear about, I also want to just bring up how you have a book that is also related to all of this and I think will be um, very interesting for our listeners. So the book is called Essential AI and Data Science Handbook for Recruitment. I guess I missed the word the at the beginning. I should have said <laughs> the essential yeah. AI and Data Science Handbook for Recruitment. So that book came out in early 2020, so just a little over a year ago. Um, I guess that is related to a lot of the kind of curriculum and philosophy that you have in Data Science Infinity. It is. It is. But I guess it's for a different audience. So Data Science right. Infinity is really tailored towards people who are looking to get into the field themselves. Whereas this book was written specifically for people who are hiring talent in data science and within, you know, the big umbrella that we call AI. Um, I mean, this this book came about, I was, I was sitting having lunch with um, the recruitment agent that actually got me connected with the guys at Sony PlayStation because we we used to catch up every time he'd come to London and we were just we were talking off the cuff around you know the types of things that I was working on um and and he made a comment around you know like I, I wish I knew more about this stuff you know it, not just because you know the stuff that we do in data science is kind of interesting he he said you know if I knew more like slightly more about this stuff it would help me so much in my role you know understanding the job descriptions a little bit more closely and understand you know on the other side understanding the resumes or the CVs that I'm seeing because they're the middleman between a job description and a and a resume and they're trying to you know effectively and efficiently connect the dots you know in a really accurate way um, and I just thought maybe there's there's something in this. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, the book is really aimed at people who are looking to recruit talent in, in the field um, without maybe going into all of the gory details of it. Um, so, you know, recruitment agents or people in HR or even maybe senior level managers 
who aren't specifically technical themselves, but they may be they may be in a role like the head of data or whatever it may be, but they are not a data scientist themselves, but they know that knowing a little bit more about the differences between programming languages or algorithms that are commonly used could be really helpful when they're trying to build up a team. Um, but 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 like you say, there was definitely a crossover between my emphasis on intuition. So this book's even more uh, that way inclined. You know, th- this had to be super right. uh, easy for anyone to pick up because it is it is genuinely directed at a, a an audience who aren't technical, and the reason they want to get it is because they don't quite understand it. And the reality is, they're not doing it day in day out. Their role isn't sitting there coding it it is trying to connect the dots between these things so that that's where that book came from and and that was a really nice experience to have written a book because i'd never done that before um i don't know if i will do it again anytime soon i think i enjoy creating courses a little bit more than writing a book i think it was so much work trying to get it into you know into a format that i was happy with Uh, i know you've written a a book in in a somewhat similar vein john but uh, it is a lot of work, definitely. Yeah, I guess my book is a lot more like your data science infinity content than your uh, book designed for uh, recruiters and that it's a kind of an intuitive, I, I definitely focus on intuitive visual ways of understanding deep learning concepts in Deep Learning Illustrated, but don't need to talk about my stuff. Let's, let's focus on you, Andrew. Um, so with your understanding of what recruiters are looking for, having yourself interviewed hundreds, thousands of people for data science roles, having spoken to lots of hiring managers, recruiters to come up with the content for your data science infinity curriculum. How can aspiring data scientists set themselves apart? Well, I think, I think there are a lot of ways that you can try and answer that question but but what i kind of like to do and it sort of alludes to what we've been talking about already is trying to trying to give advice that might be the simplest to put in place but might have the biggest impact um and it is it's a super competitive marketplace we know that data you know data science roles are being you know like every data science role has a hundred applicants at least 100 applicants um and that's not going away anytime soon even though we're maybe the, the data science market is, is maturing slightly i think people are starting to understand what it is and what it isn't a little bit more than maybe three years ago but um i think th- there are things you can do which are very simple and very quick in terms of getting yourself ahead of other candidates uh, and this is this is a huge part of what i spend my time with you know with the students in data science infinity um, but I think as a, as a candidate, you, you are essentially looking to showcase your skills at all times when you're looking to get a role, you know, during the hiring process. It's just subtly in different ways. So whether it be on your resume or whether it's, you know, the projects in your portfolio or whether you're whether it's actually when you're sitting in that interview chair, um, you're trying to showcase your skills. But my, my overall kind of piece of advice, and I'll dig into it a little bit deeper in a second, is that don't think of all of those three things and how you showcase them as different. Think of them as, as all being part of one representation of, of you and the work that you've done, just either at a really summarized level, like you might have on your resume, uh, and in much more detail in your projects or when you're talking about it in an interview. Um, and I guess I, I, I think the best piece of advice I could give um, would be that at, at a holistic level, 
So, so when you're interviewing, essentially what you are doing for the vast majority of it um, is discussing the impact that projects that you've worked on in the past have had. Um, so when you're preparing for going through the, the, the interview process or the hiring process, try and rework all of the projects that you may end up talking about into, and th this is really simple stuff. Everyone knows this, but I think I can't overemphasize how important it is. Rework them all into the star format. Um, and I'll, I'll talk exactly what the star format is. Most, most people have heard of the star format. I'll explain it in a little bit more detail for anyone who, who hasn't heard of it. But it is, it is such a simple thing you can do, but it will, it will affect your resume, your portfolio, and your interviews, and they'll all become this connected uh, representation of you. And it makes you showcasing exactly what you can deliver so much easier for you. And that sort of takes the stress off you in that process. Um, and it allows you to to run through things, especially in an, in an interview, in a really free free flowing narrative, and that's exactly what hiring managers really want to see. Nice. I think I remember what what this what STAR stands for. Uh, we had in my undergrad. If you wanted to get any positions in the in the undergraduate student administration, um, so like to lead a club, to get funding for your club. They were like, make sure every answer that you have follows the star format. And then you got formally evaluated based on that. So if I remember correctly, it's situation, task, action. I don't know. Reflection? Ah. Maybe in some of it. The, the one that I use is results. Uh, results. Results. So, right. that yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, and, and like I say, it, exactly, when, when you sit and you you sketch this out, it's it's nothing complex. You can do this so easily, but it will make such a big difference. So exactly like you say, so S is situation in, you know, in a data science world, this is this is essentially for each of your projects, this is the the context around the business problem and, and why it needed to be solved. And this really, uh, I guess it really pulls the interviewer or the reader, if it's a you know one of your projects, into your narrative, um, and it gives you a foundation to then go into the more technical details without losing them, without them not really understanding what you're doing. Because it's yeah. the reality of the hiring process is, if it's a recruiter or a hiring manager, they are quite fickle about things being made too hard for them. If if your portfolio project's just a bunch of code, and you're like, this is a this is a life changing piece of code but the hiring manager can't see it because you've not explained right. it to them. And it's going to take them half a day to dig through it themselves when they've got all of their day-to-day -day stuff to do in their role. It goes in the too hard basket. That's not a perfect world, but it's kind of the reality. So yeah, S is situation. And that's that's essentially you giving some context around the business the problem and why it needed to be solved. Um, and then you've got task. Exactly right, John. Um, and this is pretty quick and easier. It's essentially just what was your specific role in the project Super simple, but important. Not every project we all know is just one person doing everything. And it can come across quite poorly if you try and claim that you did. Um, so, and, and it can come across quite well if you say, this is what I did and this is how I supported other parts of the project. That That's quite nice for people to hear. They can see how you understand what the different roles within a project are. So that's quite easy. That won't take much of your time. Um, a is action. And this is the specific actions that you took. So this is going to be where you know most of your answer is going to lie. Um, I guess I guess for each project, 
when you're preparing for an interview, try and refine this all down to a really succinct and compelling narrative, that you, you know, as much as you can, but keep some supplementary context up your sleeve. So not only I did this, I did this, and then I did that, and that was the end of it, but why did you choose solution C over solution B and solution A? Because a, a good interviewer will ask you that. So having having prepared for that kind of a question is a really good good thing to have. And it showcases that you've got this broader knowledge of what you're doing. So if you chose a certain type of machine learning model, that's that's great. But what were the pros and cons from a technical point of view? What are the pros and cons from a business point of view? Those are the sorts of things that when a hiring manager hears that, they can see that not only does this person solve that problem, but I can see that they're going to come in and solve any problem that I give them because they've got a system in place. Um, and that's kind of what you need to show a hiring manager because the chances are, unless you're in a really specialized field, that you're not going to have solved the exact problems that that company has yeah, because you're moving yeah. from a retail company to, a, I don't know, a financial company. And yeah. the skills and the tools are kind of similar, but you've probably not solved that before. But if you can show, show that you've got a system in which you can critically think about why you're solving it and what might work well and what, what might not, what might not, that's like gold dust for a, for a hiring manager. Um, and then R is results, finishing it off. This is super, super important. It's often either missed or underemphasized by candidates. Um, you really just want to show the impact, you know, of the work or the project, you know, what was the impact that that had? Cause that's a nice way to show why you did all of this hard work. Um, and, and I guess it subconsciously starts, you know, moving the cogs in the hiring manager's brain around the value that you can add. And therefore maybe this person can come in and make me look good or make the business money. And those are the, the KPIs, which, you know, they're kind of thinking about in the back of their head. Um, and just, I guess, one final thing on there, try and use tangible figures where possible. So it, you know, yeah, it drove 100,000 sure. pounds or dollars in sales or it saved this many you know, hours of analyst time per week. You know, that really gives some color to it. And, and it is, it's about the subconscious checkboxes in the hiring manager's brain and you're starting to hit them all if you can do these things. Uh, and then, then there's one, one more really, really good thing whenever you're preparing for, you know, for each of these projects, just ask yourself, if I was to start this project again now, what would I do differently? Um, and this this sort of thinking, again, if you've just prepared for this and you've had a bit of a think about it for 10 minutes and you've jotted a couple of ideas down, that's that's all the effort it takes. But that that can be so impactful because it shows that not only have you got uh, you know awareness of the business impact of your project, it shows that you understand the nuance of what it is that you do from a technical point of view. And it kind of shows like a growth mindset because you're thinking, well, I, you know, I, I did this project six months ago and now I've learned all of these other things because that's what we do. We just keep learning. So now I would have done that differently. And that doesn't have to be from a technical perspective. It's not like I would have used this different algorithm. It could be from a, a people management point of view. Like one of the tricky things about that project was trying to sell that into a stakeholder. And, you know, since then I've learned about this way of doing that. And, and again, that is so powerful for a hiring manager who, who's wanting to see somebody come in and solve the problems that they have. Um, and I guess, you know, like I mentioned before, all of these facets, so your resume, your portfolio, and, you know, your, you know, when you're in the interview itself, I, I briefly mentioned that, you know, I was trying to get across the point of trying to think about these things all as connected rather than think about them in isolation. 
Um, but when, you, when you've kind of prepared for and documented each of your projects using something as simple as the star format, you just simplify that down for your resume. So you, you have one, you know, per project, you have one sentence for the context of what the business problem was, one sentence for the actions you took, and one sentence for the results. And that becomes really easy because you just extract that from your star format that you've written down. And then your portfolio, you can structure that in the same way and it gives a really nice narrative so people can come in and quickly see exactly what it was you did. And then when you're sitting in the interview chair, the, the words just fall out of your mouth in this really, really clear narrative. And, and it's, it's almost a way of trying to, you're trying to get ahead of the interviewer almost. You're trying to make sure they don't have any really good probing questions that are going to throw you off because you, you've essentially covered them all, you know, within within reason. So yeah. that's my kind of high level piece of advice. I, I, I see it as really simple. Anybody can do it, but trust me, it will, it will make you stand out from other candidates who, who really either, you know, on their resume, they just shout about their skills or in yeah. an interview, they just try and tell you the things they know, not the things that they've, they've done and the value they've added. Yeah, makes perfect sense. And I, I think I had a brainwave as you were speaking. So after you talked about so situation, task, action, results, then you kind of described uh, talking about uh, kind of reflecting on the situation and things you might have done differently. So that's how I got my R wrong. I said reflection because we had the way that they spelled star was with two R's. So it was right. this uh, situation, task, action, result, reflection. Um, there you go. Yeah. Well, that that's kind of exactly the same, isn't it? And um, um, as a side note, somebody I worked with at, with at Amazon, um, her name's Gigi. She is now she's left Amazon. She's now known as the Amazon Interview Whiz. And and that that one around what would I do differently? That is something that comes from her training. So I, her I, I interviewed hundred you know over a hundred candidates at Amazon, and she she interviewed like three hundred and fifty or four hundred candidates. And that was her one of her key things that differentiates a good interviewee versus one that doesn't quite make the cut. That one sort of simple thought process around growth mindset, it can really make a difference. And you should check out her uh, YouTube channel too. It's, it's probably the best interview advice you can get. It's, it's focused towards Amazon, but you can use it anywhere. Nice. How can people find that? What's her full name? Gigi? Gigi Gallagher. Um, and Gigi Gallagher. her YouTube channel is just called The Amazon Interview Wiz. Um, oh, nice. if you, if you search for that on YouTube, you should come across it. Um, cool. but yeah, you know, nice. if you're looking for a role, whether it's in data science or whether it's in just the broader field, then, then look it up. It, you'll definitely find some good stuff there. Nice. We'll make sure that that is in the show notes. Nice. So outside of being able to set themselves apart with this star process, being able to demonstrate their technical skills, what else should data scientists have in their skill set and um, I think that this is, this is going to be interesting. This is a recurring topic. So, um, I even tried to summarize this kind of idea of what sets apart a good from a great data scientist. It tends to be softer skills. Um, so I kind of, I summarized those, uh, ideas in episode 466. I would love to hear what you have to add. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of glad that you've asked that question too, because in my view, I, I agree completely with what you've said. I think it definitely is a differentiator between what I would say a good data scientist is and a great data scientist is. Um, it's it, For anybody that's looking to get into data scientist, it is so important to emphasize and I guess to understand that data science is not 
all about the technical skills. Um, and I would say that in my experience working with other data scientists in my career, I would say that the the best data scientists are not the, I guess the one, you know, the smartest ones by, you know, the definitions why, you know, by what we say smart people are, you know, they, they do know their stuff in terms of coding or statistical concepts or, you know, other key data concepts and machine learning algorithms. They, they know those things. Absolutely. Don't get me wrong. But what, what differentiates them from the rest is that they, they understand what the business problem is in its truest sense. Um, or, or I guess another way of thinking about that would be they, they understand what the business is trying to achieve, whether that's at a project level or, or at a broader level. Um, and, then, and then they use data and they use their unique skill set because let's face it, as a data scientist, you do have a unique skill set which other people in the business don't have. They use that in very clever and to be honest, often simple ways to solve the problems um, or to add tangible value to the team or the, the business or to the end user or customer. It's not all about complexity. It's about starting with the business problem and working back to a data science solution, if that makes sense, not the other way around. And that's something I wish I'd learned earlier in my career. Um, I would say good communication skills are vital. I mean, that's quite a broad area communication number one um, yeah number one that we hear on this when, when i ask well when i ask data science hiring managers on the show what are you looking for number one thing is yeah and that and that's again and i'm not i'm not trying to plug data science infinity at the moment but that's the sort of i'm trying to get that across when i'm teaching people it's not just about knowing lots of statistical concepts. It's about knowing how to use them and how to explain them to stakeholders in the business who are probably not as technical as you are. And if you don't have a good system of doing that, then you're not going to get your projects across the line and you're not going to add any value. And And adding value is the one thing you're going to do over and over again that gets you the promotion or gets you, you know, gets you to move up to a better job in another company it's all about because like I was just saying that, you know, when talking about how to showcase your skills, it's not about saying, I know this and I know this. It's about saying and showing, check out the value that I added or check out, you know, the results I got from using this concept because people don't really care what you know. They want to know how you've used it. Um, but yeah, coming back to, to good and good and great data scientists and I guess the difference between the two, I, I would say that and, and communication as the, the kind of broader topic, I would say a good data scientist knows lots of technical concepts, but maybe a great data scientist can simplify them down in a way that gets everyone in the business on board, you know, so we can get this project across the line, whatever it may be. Because at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're kind of here as data scientists to solve problems. We're not here to sort of introduce new ones and introduce complexity. Uh, and we're, we're here to accelerate business decision making and, and help the business make better decisions faster, not not get in the way of it by trying to be super smart. Um and something I say to people all the time in, in Data Science Infinity to try and try and get this concept across and make people understand how important these softer skills are is that no, nobody's gonna within reason, nobody's gonna pay you to just be good at coding or just to be good at math 
or just to know lots of machine learning algorithms, but they will pay you, and I, I'm, I guarantee they'll pay you very, very well to add value to the business using your skills. There's a subtle difference there, and, so, and people coming into the field, not all of them, sometimes they they kind of get that balance wrong. I think so. So it is something to really keep your eye on when you're you're upskilling. Beautifully said, Andrew, and I couldn't agree more. I think that all of the guidance you've provided people so far on positioning themselves on their resume in their interviews, the I get a lot of questions from listeners who reach out to me on LinkedIn and say things like, I've, I keep getting rejected from interviews. What am I doing wrong? And I love that I can now point them to this episode in particular. I also had a, a recent episode, episode 480 is my top resume tips. So we've kind of, we focused a lot now on uh, primarily on interview ideas, though a lot, everything you're saying around um, using quantities to describe an impact that you've had and tying that impact to some commercial objective, you should be able to do that in each of the bullets on your resume as well, just as you can do it in, uh, in a response to an interview question. So yeah, so top resume tips, episode 480, you can check out for that specific resume stuff. But everything today, such brilliant guidance on interview preparation. When we were talking before the show, Andrew, uh, something that came up that I'd like to to, to detail here, uh, a specific data science career-related question that I think you have a lot of insight into is, should data scientists be trying to be data engineers? What do you think about that? Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting one, definitely. And what it's eating a lot of... I guess we should, we should define that first. What is a data engineer? We should well, get that definition. Yeah, I mean... Um... I guess the difference would be, I guess, you, well, let's set this up by giving data science as the baseline. I, I could probably more confidently talk about what data science is, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best for data engineering as a comparison. Um, I guess you could say that, so data science itself, in its simplest terms, is, is the process of making data useful or adding value using data, whereas data engineering is subtly different it's it's kind of the process of making the data usable or or integrating the data with the infrastructure that you have so a a data scientist would you know probably spend most of their day staring at the data itself um, whereas a data engineer is probably going to spend some of their time staring at the data as well as some of their time you know staring at the infrastructure which will hold that data which will move that data so i know that's a super high level generalization but um it, it is quite a sort of a heated topic or it has been recently and you see you see posts around things like data engineering is going to take over data science and i i i personally disagree with that because i don't see them as being it's not a zero-sum game i see them as being two totally. overlapping but complementary parts of a bigger data picture and there are other you know so many other parts of the data picture as well and, and this was the problem we saw maybe three to five years ago was that data science was seen as the solution to all of the data problems that a business had. So, you know, people were, were hearing about data science, so they'd bring in data scientists and then they'd be slightly disappointed when, 
things weren't moving along because the data scientists didn't quite have that data engineering skill set. Their, their set of skills was slightly more specific yeah. than that. Um, and and uh, I was talking to somebody about this the other day, and and it was a bit of a funny analogy, but I'll <laughs> I'll try and remember what I, what I was thinking. I was thinking if a if you had an organization and your data team just had one data scientist and that was it, that was your whole data team. You know, hypothetically speaking, they might add 50 of these value points that I've just made up. Yeah. Uh, and if instead of a data scientist, you, you didn't have a data scientist, you had one data engineer instead, I think they would add 50 of these hypothetical value points on their own. But if you instead had a team where you had one data engineer and one data scientist, you're going to get more than 50 plus 50. You're going to get so much more than 50 plus 50 because you, you've got these two skill sets that are overlapping but but different enough that you know the data is going to be coming in and it's going to be prepared in the way that then the data scientist can really apply the things which not only they are good at but the things they're passionate about and the reason that they became a data scientist and that's when you really start the flywheel spinning it's not about data engineering versus data science it's about how can we get the most out of our data team? And I think those two roles are complementary to each other. I also see a lot of posts at the moment saying that data scientists need to be data engineers as well, in a sense. So they need all of the skills that a data engineer has. And I, I don't necessarily agree with that fully. I, I don't think there's anything bad about a data scientist trying to upskill in those areas because they are overlapping. But a data scientist has got enough on their plate, you know, like coming into the field, there's an infinite ocean of things that you want to learn. And are we just saying that now you need to have two jobs? You know, you, you need to be, you need to have the skill set of two full roles in the organization. I don't think so. I, I don't think anybody's got enough time in the day to do both of those things well at a commercial level. I think... If, if I'm, again, going back to my own experiences, um, the best setups that I've been in, there has been a team of data scientists doing their thing and a team of data engineers, engineers doing their thing, and they work side by side. They work together to make sure that they understand and they appreciate what the other one does and then because, you know, the data is going to be flowing between them. They understand how to make the life of the other one easier, but I'm not... I'm not in any way going to advocate the fact that if you're a data scientist, you have to also have the full data engineering skill set. I think there are some awesome skills within data engineering that it's not a bad idea to have, you know, getting slightly closer to how, you know, some simple things within the cloud where, you know, within AWS or within Google Cloud Platform, for example, those are really important things to have, but don't think you need to know everything about data engineering. I'd say, I guess, find which one you have more passion for and kind of continue down that route. That would that would be my sort of high level advice for, for people. Don't put so much pressure on yourself thinking you gotta have the skill set of two full roles. Um, that makes perfect sense to me. Uh, would, you, would you say it's fair to kind of, uh, that a way that we could define the two different roles is, I guess a data scientist would typically be working with um, a static, let's say that you could have a file of data on your machine as a data scientist, and you could train a model with those data. Um, and that's kind of, so the data scientist could have just this kind of fixed set of data to train their models with. The data engineer, on the other hand, is primarily concerned with the way that data 
flow in real time in a production system. Um, and then, of course, as you're saying, having skills from, from either camp is going to be an asset to you, but you don't need to feel like as a data scientist getting started, oh, before I can even apply to a data science job, I also am going to need to have these data engineering skills or vice versa. And when people are considering, should I be preparing myself for a data science career or a data engineering career? As you say at the end there, a really great way to make that decision is which way do you gravitate more towards, towards uh, kind of building models with a fixed data set or worrying about how we can efficiently flow data through. I, I think you've explained the difference between the two in the way that I understand it. I think there are, there are lots of different ways that people <laughs> explain the differences because they, there are gray areas around them and they do overlap the two fields. But I think, I think you're, you're right. And if, if I'm thinking about what I was doing at PlayStation, I, I was a data scientist at PlayStation. I was doing exactly that. So the, the PlayStation data in reality is going to be firing in from the gameplay, which is happening. That telemetry is coming in all the time in all of its hideous you know, form. And a data engineer would be responsible for formatting that data and sending the right data through. So then some clever data science process or solution can be applied to that. And then you've probably got, you know, if it was a machine learning solution, for example, then you've got like a machine learning engineer, which I think in, is I think the general acceptance is that is that kind of is the engineer which sits after the data scientist data scientist has done their work. They would try and put that in production. Again, there are these these really big overlaps, and these these terms that we use for these roles are quite grey. Um, but that's kind of my understanding of it, and that is how I've seen it work best in organizations like Amazon and Sony PlayStation. And I'm not saying that my view on this is the, the only way and it's evolving all the time, but that's that's my view from my experience. Yeah, I like that. I agree totally. I think that's a really great way of at a high level distinguishing these things. We could say data engineer is concerned with production pipelines of data and getting all the right data into the right place. Then a data scientist can work with those data and can design a machine learning algorithm or some kind of analytics or some statistical um, model on top of those data. And then the machine learning engineer can take the model that was developed and uh, get that into a production system, maybe working with backend engineers who are even maybe a little further down that line. Um, and so the machine learning engineer is kind of there in the middle between the data scientist and the backend engineer. Anyway, all kinds of fluidity between those stages, but I, I like those definitions. So you've talked a lot um, at different points in this episode um, about organizational impact. That's been a huge part of how you've been framing a lot of data science work in general. Obviously, you also have that, um, that handbook for recruitment, so kind of also a business focus there. I want to specifically ask you, based on that um, strong awareness of organizational impact of data science, how can organizations ensure that data science projects are a success? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a hot topic at the moment, or at least in the last sort of six months or a year where these, you know, these reports are coming out saying things like 85% of AI or data science solutions are ending up as failures. And 
I kind of see what they're getting at. Obviously, there's a there's a lot of wiggle room around a statement like that. You know, what is AI? What is data science? What is failure? Like there is a lot of margin for error around a statistic like that. But I, I get the gist. I think the two things that come to mind for me, and the first one is kind of harping back to what we just discussed. I think I think setting up the the data team in the right way is important. Um, having the right people in in the right roles doing what they're skilled at. So like we just mentioned, not thinking that a data scientist should be able to solve all of your problems, but getting data engineers in, for example, to first get all of the data set up in a way that, that the data scientist can be let loose on it and can you know use their unique skill set to apply the magic of data science. Um, that's quite a broad one, but I think that's important. And I think we've seen some improvement in that over the last few years. Um, I think the second one that I have seen a lot is that organizations or even data scientists themselves, they're sometimes, they're, they, they sometimes look to jump to complexity too quickly. Um, and this can be really dangerous from a, from a project point of view. So you, you know, if you try and, if you have a business problem that you want to solve, and you think, I know how I'm going to do that. I'm going to build some you know, deep learning model and, and we're going to implement in this way. That can be kind of dangerous. It's not always, but you can end up spending a huge amount of time and a huge amount of resource and a huge amount of money because data scientists and data engineers are not cheap. Building something that either drifts away slightly from the initial requirements because you're trying to force in a, a solution that you think would be awesome to work on, but it kind of moves away from the initial business problem that you need to be solving. Or potentially, you know, you spend six months building this this complicated tool or solution, and it turns out that it wasn't quite as useful as you first thought it would be. Um, and you've spent all this money and you've you've spent all this time and, and you've not really got much for it. And I think if if organizations and maybe data scientists themselves had a bit more of a an MVP or a you know minimum viable product mindset, that can be really, really mm-hmm. useful. So, you know, the the more simplistic approach of a minimum viable product um, means that, you know, there's a couple of benefits that I can see. And and the first is that whatever you build, it can it can more often than not, it can be easily understood by all of the key decision makers that need to be involved as well as you know the data science team knows what they need to do the data engineering team knows what they have to do the machine learning engineers know what they have to do but then also the non-technical maybe managers or stakeholders they understand what's going on because we've built something more simplistic than than it potentially will become but everyone can get a everyone gets in on the ground floor would be another one another way to think about it everyone gets in at that core understanding um, and that means that you've you've essentially got this high probability of getting something into production or something into place that's going to start adding value. Um, you know, it gives all of these teams a touch point. You know, scaling up from there to a more complex version two becomes much more easily because you you've got everyone's buy in at that initial level, and and having a more having a more simple you know having a more simplified version one. Or you know this MVP product, it doesn't mean that you you can't have a version two which has all the bells and whistles in the world. It just means you're 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 getting everyone in on the ground floor. You're getting buy in. You're getting everyone understood on on you know is this going to work in the way we think it's going to work? Um, and if if it doesn't, if it if it's not successful, 
then you've you've got there quite quickly. That that can be equally valuable. Um, you put something into play, you build it, you put it into production relatively quickly. And if it's not as successful as you think, or maybe you get some key learnings from it, then the business can pivot or change direction really easily without that heavy investment of time and money. Um, I think that could be, you know, if people had that mindset of of starting with an MVP, even if it's just to sketch it up to start with, it doesn't mean you have to put that in place, but just to start the thinking there, get everyone on board and then progress onto the complexities, you know, add the things that you really want to add, but start with the bare bones of it and get everyone understanding. That would, that would be my, and that's again from experience of seeing it and I've done it, I've, I've wanted to, I've, I've learned about this new deep learning technique that can do something and I just want to force it in there because I want to have that on my resume uh, and it just doesn't work a lot of the time. That would be my kind of high level advice to people in data science or organizations mm-hmm. around maybe a way to have more success with your projects or your solutions. Beautiful, Andrew. So you have been extremely enlightening in this episode. Uh, I think that listeners will come away from the episode with a clear understanding of how to set themselves apart from others, especially in an early stage data science interview, but at any stage in their career, and even if it's in uh, just related jobs, or I suppose any job. Um, So do you have any uh, particular book recommendations maybe related to, uh, you know, other than obviously your own book, which, by the way, where can we get copies of that? Where could somebody get essential, the Essential AI and Data Science Handbook for recruitment? If that's what they're interested it's, in. So I, I self-published it, so it's available on Amazon. Um, nice. And it's available in the US and the UK and, and also in Europe, I think, as well. So, yeah, if you just search for that very long title, then you, <laughs> should, you should find it. Yeah, it's got a big yellow cover. You can't miss it. Nice. All right, so other than your own book, uh, maybe you have some recommendation for a book. Or maybe it could just be a more broadly a book recommendation that people would find interesting. So, so the one that I'd recommend at the moment is one that I that I found myself going back to time and time again, and actually more so at the moment because for Data Science Infinity, I'm halfway through building a whole new section on deep learning. Um, and for me, deep learning, I, I, I personally prefer, so obviously, you know, the three kind of big ones you have, you've got TensorFlow, you've got PyTorch, and then on top of TensorFlow, you've got Keras as well. And I personally like Keras the best. It just, it syncs with me a little bit more. I know it's a little bit more building block blocky than maybe PyTorch is, but I quite like it. And I've had no problem, you know, building out solutions using it. Um, but anyway, the the book that I really like on, on Keras is just, I've actually got it here because I've been referring to it as, it's called Deep Learning with Python. Um, and it's by Francois Cholet, who is the yeah. creator of the, the Keras library. Yeah. And so he, he works for Google, I believe he still works for Google. Um, and he, he created it, but obviously, like, obviously he is an extremely clever guy. But um, the way he explains things visually and the way he kind of, you know, that almost like the story arc from, from starting of the concept very intuitively and building into the more complicated pieces of knowledge that you need to know. I really like the way he's done that. And I kind of take inspiration for that when I'm trying to think about, you know, building tutorials for my course as well. You know, that that nice arc to get people, similar to what I was saying before, get, get people in on the ground floor and then help them move up. Um, so, yeah, that that is my 
book recommendation, I would say. If you, if you want to get book. into deep learning, I think it's a really good book because it's it's nice and intuitive to start with, but you do get right into the, the complex topics and you see what's going on under the hood as well, which is quite useful. Yeah, and Keras would be my number one recommendation as well. If you're uh, a hands-on, kind of more applied than, than really mathematically oriented data scientist, Keras is definitely the way to start so that's a great recommendation. All right, Andrew, how can people follow you or get in touch with you? Um, what's the best way so that they can continue to get these insights after the episode? So the I'm only really on one social media platform, and that's LinkedIn. Um, yeah, so you can like definitely find us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so my obviously, I have one of the most common names in the world, Andrew Jones. So you're going to struggle with that a little bit. But my name on LinkedIn is Andrew Jones and then dash dash data science infinity. So hopefully that will help you find me. Um, but definitely connect with me. I, I post every day about either data science or, you know, moving through your data science career. So so definitely uh, connect with me and send me a message because I, I, I do sit on LinkedIn all, all day. That is my social media platform that I use. And I, I love talking to people about data science. Um, I have a YouTube channel, which I've started very recently, and I'm going to start adding a lot more content this month. Um, and that is just under my name, Andrew Jones. Again, it's going to be a tricky one to, to find. But if you put Andrew Jones Data Science Infinity, you will probably find me a lot more easily. Um, and then for Data Science Infinity, if you want to know any more about Data Science Infinity, obviously get in touch with me on link on LinkedIn. Just DM me. I will absolutely get back to everyone that, that DMs me. Um, or you can go to the, the main site, which is data-science-infinity.com. Um, and on there you get all, you know, there's all of the details around why the course is created in the way it is. There's more about me and my background. There's a lot of feedback from students. Um, so if you're sort of unsure about, you know, is this for you or is this not for you, then, then that can help you. There's the full curriculum. Um, so it's got a list of all of the tutorials and all of the different modules and all of the different quizzes that are in the in the program at the moment. And obviously more more is coming. Like I say, I'm, I'm building a whole section on deep learning. I want to do something on Docker. I want to create some flashcards this year for, to help people study for interviews. Um, and I want to add two really cool projects this year, one using a genetic algorithm, which I think is just the coolest thing ever, uh, and one using the A-star pathfinding algorithm. And, and those are two that they sort of, they're outside that, absolutely necessary skill set which data science infinity is all about but they're way they're, they're going to be projects that will get you noticed by hiring managers as well um so so visit the site there's a bunch of free content you can watch a bunch of the tutorials for free anyway and there's, there's a, an info pack you can download as well which has got even more information so yeah data-science-infinity.com and you can find everything there awesome all right thank you so much andrew it's been such a treat to have you on the show and hopefully we can have you on again soon to share more insights on crushing data science interviews. I would love to, I would love to come on again. Just, just let me know. Thank you very much, John. It's been a pleasure. Well, I told you I'd extract all of Andrew's interview secrets. I must admit it wasn't that hard. He seems eager to share them with the world. Some of the key points he covered were that data scientists can set themselves apart by using the STAR, situation, task, action, result, and reflection approach on their resume and especially during interviews. That there's no harm in developing engineering skills if you'd like to be a data scientist, but those engineering skills aren't strictly necessary. And how avoiding jumping to complexity too early 
is the key to successful data science projects. As always, you can get all the show notes, including the transcript for this episode, the video recording, any materials mentioned on the show, and the URL for Andrew's LinkedIn profile, as well as my own social media profiles at superdatascience.com slash 483. That's superdatascience.com slash 483. If you enjoy this episode, I'd of course greatly appreciate it if you left a review on your favorite podcasting app or on the Super Data Science YouTube channel where we have a video version of this episode. To let me know your thoughts on the episode, please do feel welcome to add me on LinkedIn or Twitter and then tag me in a post to let me know your thoughts on this episode. Your feedback is huge for figuring out what topics we should cover next. All right. Thanks to Ivana, Hyman, Mario, and JP on the Super Data Science team for managing and producing another amazing episode today. Keep on rocking it out there, folks, and I'm looking forward to enjoying another round of the Super Data Science podcast with you very soon.